Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, Episode 3, OSHA's Shipyard Standard, with your hosts, Dan Smiley and Amy Does. Good morning, Amy. How are you? Morning, Dan. I am good. Today we're here to talk about OSHA's uh, proposed changes to the shipyard standard. This is something that's going to affect all of us in the marine industry. I know my ship just came out of the shipyard. It spent two months there. I had people crawling all over it. The shipyard had people crawling all over it. We removed major pieces of equipment. Uh, we had these big thrusters in there that were originally uh, put in to uh, help the vessel do oil skimming and they're no longer supported so we removed all that. We pulled all the wire runs, all the hydraulics, all the control panels, all sorts of stuff going on. If this new shipyard standard had been going on during this, the lockout tagout portion of it would have been really cumbersome. You've been really up on this and working with the marine industry as this rule uh, comes to fruition. How is it affecting the industry and where, what is the industry's position on this proposed rule change? Well, I was, I was really lucky to be pretty heavily involved in this. Um, the rule came out, the proposed rule came out last December, and we had until March um, to get written comments in. So um, people have commented, um, I think like Newport News and Bath Ironworks and, and uh, the bigger shipyards and also the shipyard associations um, commented, Shipyard Count, Shipbuilders Council of America and, and, and other ones. Um, I think also the Navy put in comments. So. When this when the standard came out, it actually created quite a bit of controversy, and and like like you're saying, the lockout was um, at the core of it. I think the Navy in the process had tried to um, get federal vessels work on federal vessels to be exempt, um, and some of the bigger shipyards. Well, when the proposed rule came out, they weren't exempt, and so um, if they if they have to follow this, it, it became problematic. Um, forum. So there, there was a lot of protesting. Um, basically, what OSHA... The military isn't accepted? Yeah, every time I see a, a new rule, public vessels, public equipment, military ships, they're always exempted from these, these rules. How, how is it that OSHA is in a position to regulate the Navy? Well, because they're in a shipyard, and OSHA can regulate the shipyard because they're a private employer. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I think that kind of caught everybody a little flat-footed when uh, when the federal vessels weren't out of it, and and also, you know, for smaller mid-tier shipyards, um, the general industry standard is a is a problem. It's kind of a cookie cutter uh, situation, and they just kind of said, well, general industry, um, the the standard's been working in general industry. And uh, let's just cut and paste. And the ships were in, when the original, when the shipyard rules came out originally and when lockout came out, um, 
1989, basically OSHA had made a case how ships were different. So they chose not to include ships in the lockout standards when, when those came out. Um, in this proposed rule in December, they all of a sudden said, oh, we changed our minds. Ships aren't different anymore. So we're just going to cut and paste this general industry standard. And one of their, one of their um, I guess, premises is that the general industry standard has been working. And one of the things that, that the shipyard industry has, has uh, come out and said is that, you know, when you look at the statistics, it hasn't really been working that well. Um, maybe accidents have been reduced 50%. Lockout tagout related accidents have been reduced 50% since the lockout standard came out. So there's some good stuff in there. Um, but maybe it's not the only way to control hazardous energy and to provide a safe workplace, you know. Um, and also ANSI recently revised their lockout standard. OSHA standard was, was written kind of based on the original ANSI standard and now ANSI's changed their standard, but OSHA hasn't changed their mind on how lockout tagout should be done. And what the ANSI folks found is that there isn't quite enough flexibility in the lockout standard. Um, so so you, you, you do all right as long as you can lock out the equipment, but when you get to a piece of equipment you can't lock out, or you get to a piece or a, a system, for instance, that's very complex, the concept of individual control, each laborer having their own padlock on the device, that's, this is where the, the general industry standard gets clumsy and even, at worst, unworkable. So, for anyway, for for the for shipyards, um, they pointed out that the lockout standard hasn't been that effective. ANSI even comes out and says that it could be better, and OSHA is still um, giving us a rule that was developed in the 70s when there's a lot of water under the bridge since then and, and, and the shipyard industry deserves a little better. Well, OSHA points out in their notice of proposed rulemaking in, the, in the, the Federal Register that injuries in shipyards and shipyard repair greatly exceed industries uh, or other sectors of the industry. So here in, for their, in their Table 1 for 2002, it says that injury and illness rate per 100 full-time employees was 16.6% for shipyards compared to 7.1% for construction and 7.2% for manufacturing. So there does seem to be a problem. There does seem to be a disparity. OSHA has to do something, right? Well, here, this part is very interesting, Dan, because um, when I was at the hearings in Washington, D.C., the Shipbuilders uh, Associations pointed out that OSHA China cherry-picked the 2002 statistics. And if you look at more current statistics, um, the accidents are ac actually below industry standard. So pretty strange, but um, they pulled out 2002. Maybe it was a bad year, but uh, since then... Um, the shipyard rate is below general industry. So I know that in general, I apply the general industry rules to the vessels that I operate. Those vessels tend to be very small. Uh, I own them, uh, or my company owns them. Um, you know, they're not like uh, super tankers. But, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, we do a lot of shipyard repair. In Port Angeles, they are doing shipyard repair 
uh, dockside all the time, and every minute that those ships uh, get delayed at the dock, it costs the company money, and everything that costs the company money eventually costs the public money. As that tanker sits there and doesn't bring oil down from the Alaska North Slope, our price at the pump goes up. Everyone's under a lot of pressure to make this stuff go as fast as possible, and yet OSHA's in a position to try to make sure that it's still done as safely as possible. It was a big conflict there, and as the industry moves forward and tries to, to fight the proposed rulemaking, you know, they make it appear like they're more interested in, in just getting by than in safety. I know that's not the case, so what, can you give me some examples of the things that would be unworkable and what some of the solutions to that might be? Um, okay, let well, me... You know, for instance, we talk about, you know, that uh, uh, prior to the show that, you know, if you follow the general ship, you know, our general industry standard for a lockout with all the people swarming over a ship, you might end up with 200 locks trying to be on a valve. That's just simply physically impossible. So how might you meet the intent, the spirit of the rule, and yet not apply specific general industry guidelines to shipyards? Well, the Navy actually has quite an extensive uh, manual on lockout tagout that's been developed over decades. And one of the problems that the shipbuilders are having with this lockout with the general industry standard is this, this proposed rule throws out their whole manual. So they, they've developed a manual. They haven't been having lockout accidents. Um, it hasn't, certainly hasn't been uh, uh, significant um, statistically. So they have a system in place that's working, and it is much different than the general industry standard. And it involves um, having an expert employee, uh, someone who's an, a systems expert. So let's say they're, um, they understand how the hydraulic system works. So if you need to work on the anchor windlass or you need to work on a conveyor belt, um, that operates hydraulically, the person who understands the hydraulic system on the boat would be the person who locks it out. And then there is like a permit system or a log that says it's locked out and has the names of the people working on it. Um, and it's not turned back on until those people check out of the job. So the in the major shipyards, that's kind of how the procedure has been working. And uh, every laborer doesn't have a lock in that case. It's more of a, a permit or log-based um, lockout system, and the person who's performing the lockout, instead of being the lowest person perhaps on the totem pole or the least knowledgeable person in the ship system, um, it's the person who's very knowledgeable in the system. So it's a different paradigm um, than the general industry standard. So using that concept of having the knowledgeable person perform the lockout and having an administrative uh, system in place to keep track of who's working on what um, has been effective on federal vessels and in the in the major shipyards like Newport News and Bath and and uh, so the the industry is kind of saying well why why can't we use what we're using it's working and it's been developed over decades um, and it addresses some of the the uh, it addresses problems that are inherent in shipbuilding so the Navy's got a good program that's implemented. Shipyards must have implemented their own problems. They're not having huge numbers of accidents, and those programs must not mirror uh, general industry. So is 
is uh, is industry saying, hey, look, we've got a number of plans here, and they're working, and what is the industry saying along those lines? Well, it, you know, one of the most valuable things I've found in this whole debate is in 2004, the National Shipbuilding Research Program published a report, and they have a table in it, and they have a section in the report that is best practices in shipyard work. Um, and in that report, uh, they kind of lay out uh, they lay out how what the big shipyards are doing and the, the commonalities between them as a format for a possible um, proposed lockout standard. And that report wasn't used as a basis of the rule by OSHA. Instead, they just brought in this general industry standard. So it basically throws out industry best practices. So if this general industry standard goes through, we're starting over. So everything in the ship, all of the, the experience that the Navy's had and their manual that they've developed over many years and the experience at, at a lot of mid-tier and, and large shipyards um, is tossed. So by looking at this report, which is available online and it's part of the docket uh, on the OSHA or regulations.gov website, um, I think it's kind of a roadmap toward how to perform lockout in shipyards. So. I think what's important to, to say here is that shipyards, for the most part, I can't speak for the large ones, but the mid-tier shipyards on the West Coast are saying we do need a lockout rule. So maybe OSHA in the past has gotten upset from industry saying this is going to slow us down. You know, we don't want this rule. We shouldn't be included in it. Um, but that's not what's happening here. It's something that's very unusual, I think. And what shipyards are saying is we want the rule. We want it to be clear. We just want to be able to execute it. So everyone's for a lockout rule. They're just, they just want OSHA to use best practices and not cookie cutter or cut and paste general industry standard into a ship situation. So the other thing that's, that's significant with this, Dan, is I noticed at the hearings is OSHA has a pretty incredible team on this. Um, the people who are who are rewriting the standard and listening to comments are very astute and experienced, and they they have listened to industry. So I I think that this rule is going to come out looking a lot different. Um, it's going to be different than than it is now, because I I believe that they did listen to everybody and their arguments, and I think those arguments were sound. And we what's really exciting is we could come out of this whole rulemaking process with, with something that really works in the ship industry. And there have been accidents, and, and of course, the people in the shipbuilding industry see the potential for them. So they need to have procedures to control hazardous energy. They just they just want them to be effective, and, uh, and like you're saying, sometimes there's pressure to get things out of the yard. They don't want them to be overly cumbersome. They want them to just be effective and straightforward. We've been talking about how the standard applies to shipyards, but it doesn't stop at shipyards, does it? I mean, ship ship repair is even the deckhand out on the out on the deck, needle gunning, uh, railing. You know, anything that's involved in in ship repair and maintenance falls under this rule. Is is that not true? Every time you, it's defined as repairing a vessel. So anything your engineer does on the ship pretty much, and, and when your guys are doing maintenance dockside, um, it's covered. 
if you're in OSHA jurisdiction, you'd be covered under this rule. So um, it applies to all uninspected uh, vessels in the United States. And that's, I've heard estimates as high as 50,000 vessels um, that this would affect. So it's, it goes far beyond shipyards. And it, it's not just work that happens in shipyards when you're doing, you know, uh, significant repairs. It's, it's everything. It could be, you know, it could apply to the engineer walking across the deck with a wrench in his hand to go do some maintenance. You know, that he would fall under the shipyard standard. So, um, like, let's take the fishing industry as an example. We have people working on the uh, on the processing line, and at the end of the day, uh, or maybe sometime during the workday, they've got to shut a piece of equipment down to do some work, maybe a conveyor jammed or something. That would the work done there would fall under this standard. Yes, no doubt. And and lockout isn't the only thing in the standard. There are a couple. Other things that uh, are causing some heartburn in the industry, again, they just want it to be, uh, I, I think overall, everybody just wants it to be doable. And one of the things that the fishing industry in particular has a hard time with is, is a line in the proposed rule that um, requires that people eliminate slippery conditions such as snow and ice as, they, as it occurs. So... Uh, eliminating snow as it occurs has been a, a problem for mankind for a long time. I mean, you can't just wave a wand. So, and and also ice. When you when when vessels are fishing in Alaska in February, they would love to eliminate the ice, but uh, they have a problem doing that. So when you have a rule like that, and you have an engineer walking across an icy dock you don't own, or you know it's snowing hard, you can't possibly remove it all. Um, that's a violation. So the way that's written, I think, is regrettable, and hopefully it'll be fixed in the final version. But, uh, but that, that right there is, is causing some heartburn. Another, another thing in the standard that uh, there was a lot of uh, protests about was a stepped-up requirement for eyewash. So when you're doing ship repair, historically, you need an eyewash where you have corrosive materials. So anything with a pH of, let's say, under 2 or over 12, so something highly caustic or, or acidic. And uh, in this standard, it says a hazardous material. So that's pretty much every chemical on the boat. So if we're talking about having an eyewash near where you use every chemical on the boat, that starts getting to be a ridiculous number of eyewashes that would be required. So again, I think the wording on that is regrettable and hopefully... OSHA's seen the light on that and, and uh, won't come out with that overly burdensome uh, language in their final rule. So there are other things in here besides lockout, tagout that are that are problematic. They, they would like everyone, if you're on shore power, everyone on board the boat should probably have a flashlight under this rule. There's some rules that you need um, plumbed toilets and Instead of porta potties, there's a certain number of plumbed toilets. Well, on a vessel, when you're using porta potties, it means your plumbed toilet system is not usable. So you can't have plumbed toilets in addition to the porta potties. So there's some language in there that's that's uh, problematic. Uh, I spent years sailing with Western Pioneer as as chief mate in the Alaska trade, hauling back uh, frozen fish from Dutch Harbor and Kodiak, uh, Saint Paul. Uh, 
in those freezer holds, which you know is what the boats are designed to do, haul frozen product. Uh, if I had to repair a fan or a forklift or something in the hold uh, and eliminate ice, I mean, how do you eliminate ice in a freezer hold? How do you do that? That's a... <laughs> I, I want the ice. I'm forcing the ice there. I'm making ice. That's the whole point. I know. And that's, you know, OSHA heard, you know, several days of testimony. I'm sure they're pretty sick of hearing that because everyone had the same reaction you had. Um, yeah. And in the fishing industry, you have blast freezers and uh, certainly freezer holds and and you can't really eliminate ice. It would be nice, but uh, very impractical. I'd like to eliminate snow around my house, too. Actually, I'd like to make a little <laughs> bubble that was just summer all the time. Maybe OSHA could make a rule for that. I know. I'm glad I didn't come out with that little line there because I think that whoever did is regrets it. Okay. You know, there, there's some problems with the wording. So I, I'm pretty sure they're going to fix that. And, uh, and like I said, through the hearing process, I think it was the first time I went through the hearing in such a full way. I went back to Washington, D.C. For, for the hearing there and then also here out in Seattle, they had several days of testimony, and I got to attend um, attend the hearing here. Um, these OSHA people are pretty sharp, so they heard enough, I think, about that to to try to fix that problem in the final rule. But well, Amy, hope, uh, I can't that, imagine they wouldn't. Amy, here's a, a word I never heard before that they throw into this: isolated spaces. We've all heard of confined spaces. We've all heard of enclosed spaces. 29 CFR 1910 and 1915 address these. But what in, in, what in the heck is an isolated space? Well, uh, what they're worried about and why they're trying to regulate these isolated spaces is um, they, if people are working in some kind of remote area in the shipyard or um, – they want you to keep track of them. So check in on, on them periodically, make sure it isn't too long before you see them again and make sure that they're okay. So you're working off in some tank somewhere or way at the end of a pier where no one else is. Um, they use some anecdotal uh, examples um, of somebody working off on their own and then they found them drowned later um, and maybe they weren't checking in on them often enough. Although if you don't check in them, on them after they fall in and before they drown in that window, then you have a problem. But what, what OSHA is trying to do is um, make sure people don't get hurt and then it's hours and hours and hours before they're found or maybe even the next day or no one notices they're missing at all. That seems reasonable. So, yeah, so they're using the word isolated spaces. Well, the problem comes with the definition um, is a company definition of where you need to check on people in one an isolated space, is that going to be the same as the OSHA inspector? So they got some kickback on that because uh, it's pretty much left up to the eye of the beholder. And uh, for industry, they don't like that um, because it always leaves them open to violation should they get an inspector that has a different opinion than they have. So, you know, they're using isolated spaces, I think, with with a lot of room for interpretation. So I'm not exactly sure what it is. And I think maybe my idea of an isolated space and yours could vary a little bit. And certainly ours could be different than an ocean inspector. So, but the, the spirit of it is to just check on your employees who are working off on their own so that they're not uh, in trouble. I know what, what 
in my day-to-day work, when I have people that are working down on on boat, <coughs> you know, uh, you know, generally we have people around them. So if somebody got hurt, we would we know about that. But if it's after hours, let's say that, you know, 4:30 in the afternoon's rolled around, I'm lucky enough to work an eight-hour day unless there's a, unless there's a, a response that's going on, and I got a piece of equipment down and somebody's got to stay late to work on it. I always make sure that two people stay. I never leave one person working after hours. So I understand the spirit of what they're trying to do. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. But but when you're writing regulation, you know, it's fair to give people a very precise idea of when, so they can feel confident they're in compliance and not some ambiguous um, deal where they think they're okay. And then they get an ocean inspector who says they're not. So. Industry's only problem, I think, with that, um, I think most companies are checking in on people working in those re- remote spaces and remote areas, but their problem is the vagueness. Um, when we're talking about a regulation, you know, they think they're okay until the ocean inspector gets there and harasses them about it. So they want a little bit more, uh, I guess, prescriptive language in there or something to where they, they feel um, that it's not just going to become an argument. So where do you think this is going to go? It, where, what's the process for the rulemaking? When, when, when may we actually see a rule? Well, um, for documents that that industry wants OSHA to consider, the deadline is December 22nd, 2008. Um, so the people who testified at the hearings um, have until December 22nd to submit these documents, and they have I think into January to submit any further written comments on the rules. And um, the further written comments are limited to the people who have already provided comments. Um, And then I think OSHA goes back to the drawing board and they have to consider everyone's comments, both written and what they heard at the hearing and make an argument why they're gonna do what they're going to do. So if you've read the preambles to the federal registers before or the preambles to the final rules, um, there's going to be pages and pages of explanation of how OSHA is going to weigh what people say and, and how they are going to make a decision on what they do. But I, personally, I, I mean, I hope this doesn't prove me wrong, but I, I think that they are uh, pretty sharp people and they heard enough to um, maybe tighten up the problematic areas. So I have, I have some pretty high hopes that when this thing comes out again, that uh, the, the main problems will be fixed. The only thing that's a little bit worrisome is the lockout tagout portion because the industry doesn't want the general industry standard and that's what's in the proposed rule. So this thing has to change significantly to be acceptable to all parties. So I don't know how OSHA's gonna handle that. <clears throat> it might be you know, a problem within their system, um, how they can maybe turn, turn around completely from a proposed rule to a final rule, but Certainly, I think if we could go back to the drawing board on this and work with OSHA to uh, come out with something that uh, that would work for everyone and is executable, um, it would be great. It would be really meaningful to mariners everywhere and the people that work in shipyards everywhere to have everyone behind the system of hazardous energy control. So I, I think, I don't know politically what OSHA has to do or how their process works all the way, but Boy, if they could do that, um, we would really come a long way in protecting workers. We've got to put all these 
ideas and these minds together. And uh, I sure hope that happens. Yeah, that would be great. I know that uh, in trying to apply general industry standards, which my company generally tries to do, since there really isn't anything better for us anyway, um, it's difficult. It's really, it really is difficult. And I, I conduct training on lockout tag out and these other issues all the time, and I constantly get questions. Well, you know, what about this and what about this? Clear guidance would be really nice. Yeah, clear guidance and something that takes ships into consideration and the working conditions on ships into consideration. I think the fishing industry too, um, you know, there's been some accidents in fishing and and people don't want them. They would like to do something. And, and OSHA only applies up to three nautical miles as far as the West Coast goes. So they would like to, to do something no matter where they're at. If they're 160 miles outside of the Pribilofs, they still want to be following the same rule. So there's a lot of energy to embrace something if it's the right thing. But although all of them are basing their lockout programs now on the general industry standard because it's kind of all that's out there um, and readily available, none of them are in complete compliance because it's not really possible in the ship setting. Well, thanks for that update. On another note, hey, I was talking to some guys in the Forest Service here recently, and they mentioned that in a lot of their training, they don't even use the word safety, that they've found that it just uh, shuts people's minds down, and they focus really on procedure and outcome, feeling that if someone really uh, follows the standard operating procedure, safety is is the result. I thought that was a really interesting approach to their training process, especially when they're talking about, you know, when I talk about the Forest Service, I'm really talking about their guys who are doing wildfire fighting, which is dangerous. I mean, they're jumping out of planes, they're fast roping into places, they're running away from fires, they're flying in on helicopters, they're you know doing all kinds of stuff, but they focus on standard operating procedures. Well, and, and OSHA even has done that in the process safety management standard. They, the, there are some safety things in there, like following you know safe working procedures, uh, but also they required standard operating procedures for work you do on your on your hazardous chemical process. So, I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, in my mind, I call it integrated safety, and it's just part of the job. And when you go into facilities that have good safety records and, you know, you can feel it. And what you see is that they're, it's just a part of the job. It isn't an add-on or anything. It's just completely integrated into the procedure for the tasks they're doing. And that's safety at its best. It's not an add-on. Um, it's just part of it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you want to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety at iworkwise.com.